0: this is o ship the show where experts and leaders look back at their biggest moments of failure just so you can avoid making them and there is no one better to squeeze the naked truth out of our charismatic guests than your host chameleon collective founding partner freddie laker i'm your host freddie laker and i'm thrilled to guide you to another riveting voyage on the o ship show each week we delve into the minds of the world's most successful and fascinating entrepreneurs uncovering their secrets, their stories, and their hard-earned lessons. Today's journey promises to be a fantastic one as we dive into a topic that's actually really close to my heart and should be integral to every aspiring business leader out there. Frankly, that's how to take a boring industry and make it fun and rewarding for both your customers and your employees. Now, you might be wondering, Freddie, how can any industry be boring? Isn't business always exciting well my friends not all industries are filled with glitz and glamour but each does actually hold its own charm and our guest today has mastered the art of finding that charm he's the co-founder of bamco a 400 million plus dollar company that turns everyday branded merchandise into works of art for some of the world's biggest brands he started Bamco in a dorm room with a childhood friend over 20 years ago, and today it's one of the largest and fastest-growing branded merchandise agencies in the industry. And he's turned, frankly, what many may see as a mundane sector into a thriving creative playground that resonates with clients across the globe. So with that, let's get this week's episode started with the incredibly talented entrepreneur extraordinaire, Brent Mars. <laughs> Brett, welcome to OSHIP. How are you?
1: Freddie, thank you so much for having me.
0: I am great. Uh, Glad you're here. We met recently through some mutual friends and uh, colleagues and you just got such a cool background. I was so honored when we got a chance to have you on OSHIP. So I'm really looking forward to digging in. I gave a little bit of your background. I hope I qualify as a good hype man for you. But for some of the people that don't know you in the industry, I'd love to just hear a little bit more about your entrepreneurial journey. So can you tell us a bit how you got started?
1: So I actually got started at the age of 12, and it was hardcore <laughs> selling a product called Pogs, P-O-G-S, which were these little discs that were collectibles. And there I was, never... a, and there was a product called a Slammer. And I've told this story, but it's fun because I used to go and I just took my son, who's nine years old to where I used to sell pogs, which was the Santa Monica Pier here in Los Angeles, California. And I sat on the side of the pier. So when you went up or down the pier, perfect placement, you would have to run into me selling pogs. My parents were- Solid my-
0: 12 year old strategy right there.
1: <laughs> look, Disney stole that from me. I mean, look, you get off a ride at Disney or any theme park and they send you right into the merch store, right? <laughs> I played that card and I taught them how to do it.
0: I wish. Um, uh, (laughs) Exit through the gift shop.
1: (laughs) So it was the best souvenir and it was the most unique pogs. And every week the police would come and tell me to leave. Every week I would say, I'm 12 years old. You obviously must have something more interesting than a 12-year-old selling pogs to deal with. And I did it, I did it for months and months and months. And every week they'd kick me out and every week I'd come back. And it was really cool because I got to actually show my son who wants to start selling things to make money in our neighborhood where I started that. And it was really cool, it was for, full circle. This happened three weeks ago. So that was the start. And Amazing. from there, it's been a run.
0: Yeah, well, so how did you go from there? I think you said you started your dorm room. So clearly you like starting stuff when you're a bit young. Pretty significant business, to put it mildly, that you've got in your hands now. So, how did you end up starting that while you were still in college?
1: So, I have a best friend named Phil Cousad, and Phil and I went to elementary school together. We lost touch in high school. He went to a nicer, fancier, smarter school. And I ended up meeting him back up at USC. And when we met back up, he was actually doing this, he was selling t shirts. And I said to him, what a great business. And he said, it's the worst business on the earth. You want nothing to do with this business. And I said, that sounds great. (laughs) What happened is we were delivering shirts to one of the sororities and we delivered the shirts. And all of a sudden, probably 50 of the sorority girls came out of nowhere. Shirts are here. Shirts are here. And I'm just sitting there like, wow. Like, this is overwhelming, but this is amazing. They want to talk to us and thank us for the shirts and love the shirts. And half them wanted to tell us how they hated the shirts and they were the worst things they've ever seen. <laughs> and who made this decision? And I was like, oh man, this was like potentially be so cool and so exciting. And then it was, we would deliver shirts to the fraternities. It was very different. You'd walk into a fraternity and they would have, like no one would be around. They'd all be doing extracurricular activities in their rooms, not studying. And eventually someone would come and we'd say, here are your shirts. And they'd be like, you know, we got to pay you. Do you mind if we pay you in like in beer or you should go to our party? We have an awesome party coming tonight. We just don't have the funds to pay you right now. But we think we can get you the money eventually. <laughs> so you got the sorority, Living the dream, all the opinions, but it became an incredible opportunity to one, meet a lot of people and it ended up funding a lot of the stuff that we wanted to do in college. And neither of us were in a position where going on these awesome trips was going to be funded by our parents. So we knew that if we wanted to do these fun trips and do all these exciting things that cost money, we needed to make money. And so we learned a lot. I will say everyone was buying from a catalog at the time. And so the fact that we could come in person and build a relationship and let you touch and feel a simple product, like a t-shirt or a tank top, it really made a big difference. And that shaped how we built Bamco into what it was today, instead of being just an order taker or someone that you can go online and place an order with, we always knew building a relationship, understanding who our partners were and who our customers were, was going to hopefully set us apart from all the competitors. And by the way, every day I wake up to twenty three thousand competitors. Not maybe. Holy hell!
0: But, Just to get a sense of scale, you know, trying to imagine you from going making fifty or hundred shirts for a sorority. I hope I'm not putting you on the spot with this, but is there a sense of like how many branded items you guys are shipping out a year now for a company of that size? I mean, is it hundreds of thousands, millions yeah, I mean, all- of
1: items? Uh, we have anywhere from twenty to 40,000 shipments in a day. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> That's just what we ship from our facilities. We drop ship a lot of products to the biggest brands in the world. And those Seriously. are in the half million, million plus quantities. We're working on a big project right now for a company and it's 4 million units. And yeah. so it's very different than, hey, I want 50 t-shirts. And by the way, those people still come back to me and say, Hey, my daughter's having a birthday. I don't know if you're still in the business, but we would love some tea. (laughs) You're like, yeah,
0: yeah, I'm still in the business, just a wee bit. (laughs) And
1: and like my personality is like, you know, I want to help you, but I'm telling you, we're not good at those projects anymore. Those things anymore. Yeah. I would love to make you buttons for the, you know, your kids party. (laughs) But I'm telling you, out there. (laughs) but we learned a lot and you have to imagine like set yourself up we say dorm room I- eventually i came out and was honest and it was the fraternity it wasn't actually yeah. a dorm room yeah and if you could imagine these two guys that are trying to build a business living in a fraternity right just picture them. yeah every Madness. night every day people banging on our door that had drank too much or potentially <laughs> were under- of something and we're like guys we're trying to work they're like Your T-shirt business is the biggest joke on the planet. You're never going to survive. You know, (laughs) give it up. You know, come party with us. Come drink with us. We're going out to the two night. We're going out to the nine. To be able to go through a business while living in a fraternity and survive, (laughs) period, is in itself a I
0: imagine you having some like Zen-like ability to focus through any disruption at this point. I have to ask, you and I agreed. I think there was an opportunity to do an episode around this concept of making boring businesses interesting. I want anyone who's watching or listening right now, <laughs> not to take offense on picking on Brett and saying his business is boring. But I think what we're trying to say is. You know, there are people out there who say, look, I'm working on AI right now, or I'm working on some super innovative project, a product or project. And then there are other people out there who are building, you know, businesses 20, 30, 40 million dollars a year, making code hangers. And they're making, you know, very viable businesses out of those kind of businesses. And I think so some people might feel that this doesn't exist in Brett's world. And so I guess my big question then for you is how do you kind of inject fun? into a product or project when the industry may be traditionally seen as a little boring.
1: So I always, my wife introduces me as a pen salesman, right? It's like to this day, (laughs) oh, this is my husband. He sells pens for a living. (laughs) That's amazing. I sell t-shirts too, but you know, look, I think the reality of our business is it's a crowded space. It's a 20 plus billion dollar industry, 23,000 competitors. And you can start in our industry for zero dollars. It, literally, it's like hundreds of dollars and you can be part of this. And I'll never forget, we went to our first convention in Vegas. By the way, we obviously stayed at like an Excalibur. It was 49 bucks a night. We had not a dollar to our name. Yeah. And I think we actually probably snuck in some way to the show, like someone helped us get a badge and it wasn't yeah. even our name. Been there. And you know, we walked around this industry and we're like, everyone's moving so slow everyone's grabbing all the free samples. It's like Costco, but like for product, right? Like, you know, you're not grabbing food, you're grabbing a pen, you're grabbing the mug, you're grabbing the, you, you know, you're just like going. And I think we walked out of that show and said, oh my God, what have we gotten ourselves into? I kind of
0: feel daunting. I mean, you talk about being one of the behemoths in the industry and you've got 23,000 competitors. I'm trying to imagine being the guy with $500 in their pocket and feeling there's 23,000 competitors. I mean, it's got to be insane.
1: I mean, I can go on and on. People would ask us for our catalog. They'd ask us for our website. They'd ask us for all these things. I don't have any of that. And so I'm not sympathetic anymore when our sales team comes and says, our website's not great, our catalog. And I feel like my dad, like, you don't know what cold is. He grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I don't know what cold is. And I try and tell our sales team like- is this no, year, like,
0: I walked through seven miles in the snowstorm. I, like, I worked through these giant vents.
1: You know, <laughs> People were taking my pens. <laughs> it's fascinating, you know, and my dad's a whole story in himself and I've learned a tremendous amount from him and my brother, both entrepreneurs. And my mom is an entrepreneur. She was doing tie dye and had her whole business growing awesome. up. And so dinner table conversations, by the way, I'll get back to your question were not your normal dinner table conversations. It wasn't like, how was your day? And how's the weather? It was like, well, how much did you sell of that? And how can we sell more and what's trending and what other business can we start? And that was from day one. Like I couldn't not be an entrepreneur growing up in that family. And my brother was one of the first people selling cell phones. I I think I have one of his cell phones on my shelf back here. Family of
0: hustlers sounds like.
1: Yeah, so going back to your question, We grew the business and we sold it in 2016. And until we sold it, I will be honest, I didn't see the biggest opportunity in what we were doing until I probably was able to sell it. My roommate in college, Jake, took over our business. We brought him in as a CFO, then he took on CFO, COO. Now he's president, he's running the whole thing. So when he came in, Phil, my business partner, went to chief strategy officer of the parent company, and then I stepped into this role of, I like to call it like an entrepreneur in resident on behalf of some of the biggest brands in the world. And that's probably where I started to realize that we're not just in a business of selling pens and t-shirts. There's actually a lot more that we can be doing on behalf of brands that's fun and exciting as an entrepreneur. Now, we always approached this industry as we don't need more stuff. We don't wanna create more landfill. You can make more product that's more creative and you can do unique things with the product that you have as a company. But for us, the aha moment for me was when I said, instead of just giving this stuff away, what if we could actually create a moment where a customer, instead of just coming up to a booth and getting a free pen, has to do something for that, has to give you information, has to sign up for a product. And by the way, you've seen this. Sign up for a credit card, walking through an airport, Southwest mm-hmm. Airlines, Visa, go to a, a baseball game. Or mm-hmm. This has become a big thing is let's get something for this instead of just giving stuff away like it's going out of style. Mm-hmm. And so I took on this role. And if I look at my job today, I split it into three categories. One is... How do I help brands build more loyalty with their customers through product, gifts, that a whole experience? Imagine Mm -hmm. you're a top tier member at an airline, a hotel, Mm -hmm. or a coffee shop, and that brand wants to do something nice for you or make you feel special. And you actually probably can think of a few brands that do that. A few, because most don't. So that's a big part of what I focus on. I also spend a lot of my time with heads of people, chief people officer, chief human resource officer saying to a company, you have people out there that are your walking billboard that live and breathe your brand every single day and can be your biggest brand ambassadors if you treat them well and you do nice things for them. And there's probably a few brands out there that you can point to that do an amazing job of that. I live in the West Coast and we have In-N-Out Burger and In-N-Out Burger sells burgers, right? There's a lot of places that sell burgers, but if you walk into an In-N-Out Burger, it's 110 degrees where I live here in the Valley right now. You will see them smiling. They'll be happy. And that's because they have an amazing program to help them do and feel appreciated by the brand. By the way, our business plays into all of these things I'm discussing. The third is how do we create revenue on behalf of a brand that either has a program that is not great or that hasn't even thought of a way to make money within their business? I'll give you an example. Airlines, hotels, and cruise lines. Of the three, the people that sell you product typically are hotels and cruise lines when you get to the hotel mm-hmm. or when you get on the cruise. But what I've proven is how about all the people that sign up for a cruise or are going on a vacation and need to buy something before they go on that trip? They need luggage. They need dot kits, they need Mm -hmm. luggage tags, they need passport holders, they need clothing, they need all these things. And they're going to go somewhere to buy that. So why as a brand, wouldn't you be the ones to sell that? Mm -hmm. And so we're bringing those programs to life. Mm -hmm. Now, that's very different than saying, give me a few million dollars a year to make pens and Mm -hmm. mugs and mouse pads for you that we can give out to your customer Mm -hmm. versus me going and saying to a brand, I want to generate tens of millions of dollars for you in business that i don't think you've Mm. ever touched Mm. or i want to help you with your customer loyalty and i think we can use product to do that we can use partnerships with flower companies and we can do things with handwritten notes and we can send gifts and we can do all these amazing things with the product that we create
0: and so the point i think is that even if some of these products on their own even if they are fun and uh, some people it's not a boring sale what you're doing ultimately it's going back and talking to your customers about value, creating opportunity for them that didn't exist. And that's exciting. And everyone's interested in that. And the method to how to getting there is irrelevant because what you're really providing your clients is growth or retention or loyalty. And those things have enormous value. And frankly, those are actually how you're approaching that. Those are actually really creative solutions. There's nothing boring about that at all. Very cool.
1: Thanks. I have a lot of friends that have seen me doing this for 23 years. Yeah. And they look at me and they're like, How are you still doing this? How are you still yeah. excited? I don't even own this company anymore. Yeah. We yeah. sold it. Yeah. How are you still there? And how are you doing it? And I say, You have to remember when we had this business, we had no money. Every dollar we made was going back into the business every day. Had my wife not been a lawyer and making money, I don't know where we'd be living yeah. because yeah. we weren't taking money yeah. out of the business. And I always remind her of that because I'm so thankful. And the reality is we didn't have a fair playing field because we didn't have money to spend. We didn't have the infrastructure. Today, you know, globally, the parent company, we have thousands of people. We have a couple million plus square feet of warehouse space. Mm-hmm. We have uh, production capabilities. We have hundreds of employees in Asia to be you know, working with these factories. We have a team of hundreds of people coding the websites we bring to life. We have all of these things that we never had. And so I always tell people, I'm like, first of all, I'm having fun. I'm challenged because there's not a company we work with that isn't challenged in some way right now in their business. They're struggling to keep employees. They're struggling to keep customers. They're trying to find more revenue. All three areas I play very well in. And the other thing I tell people is you have to imagine we had no resources, no nothing, no ability to do cool things. Now... We have the money, we have the budgets we can do and invest. And I mean, I think our parent company announced that we invested $20 million into our warehousing infrastructure where we have robots running around. Like I can now walk into any business of any size and we work with the biggest out there. I think we've worked with Walmart for 52 years and Amazon. And I can go through the list of all these brands and I can tell you that I get more excited about this next chapter than ever before, because now we have the backing to do anything and everything. And we've proven this model works. We've proven people are actually interested in what we're doing, versus, do you want another t shirt? Do you want mm-hmm. another? Hat? You have to evolve like everything. And we do continue to invest money every single year, a lot of it back into this business. Mm-hmm. It's always been that way, it always will, as opposed to just taking massive paychecks, which would be nice and cool as well. But yeah,
0: I understand. I mean, it sounds like that's been a huge part of like what's lit your fire through this process is it stopped you from getting bored. And I don't even mean bored in the industry. I just mean, everyone gets bored in their job if you do the same thing over and over again. So it seems like this kind of investment in innovation has been something that's been particularly powerful for you. If you had to give some advice to any other business leaders, entrepreneurs that might be out there who may feel like they're kind of stuck in quote unquote a boring industry what advice would you give them to feel excited and invest in their job or their business
1: yeah i just gave this advice to a, a team of ours I would say you have to take a step back you have to look at what you're actually doing and you have to ask yourself as well Is can i make this fun and if not maybe you're in the wrong thing so we recently took over our uniform business so we outfit 10 million plus people a day. If You walk in, you fly uh, airlines, you walk into an Applebee's, an IHOP, a Denny's, you go into Walmart, the blue vest, like uniforms is another one where you could say, that's boring. But if you take a step back and say, what are we doing? We're outfitting 10 million plus people a day. They go to work. They have to put this thing on. They don't actually have a choice. Is it nice? Is it comfortable? Does it look good? Does it feel good? Is it? make you proud to work for this brand? Do you have enough? Do we give you enough uniforms? If I say here's three t-shirts and you work at a quick service restaurant and you got grease and things going all over you all day, what does that say about my employer? Says, no, they may not care that much about me. They want me doing laundry multiple times a week. I don't want (laughs) right. Like, But I say this as a perfect example because I said, look, you have the ability to make or break that employee's experience day one. The first thing you get, aside from the paperwork, is your uniform. And that can be an incredible experience. If I said, Freddie, welcome to XYZ company. We know you've just agreed to put 40 hours of your week, a 30-year life, is now committed to our brand. Here are your uniforms. Here's a note from our CEO saying, welcome to the brand. We can't wait to have you. And by the way, we threw in some other fun things that we think you would appreciate. I tell you, It's this. a difference.
0: It very very care. very
1: few companies in the world doing that yeah but we're telling people to do that so i can take any product industry and back out of it and say what are we doing here like what are we actually doing we're not just making toilet paper right like my buddy sells mm. toilet paper and he crushes it And <laughs> so I'm like,
0: he's in there with that coat hanger crew i mentioned earlier yeah,
1: yeah. napkins toilet paper things that restaurants use on a daily yeah. basis he's like it's a necessity. Think about it. Like if you walk into a restaurant and they have no toilet paper or their napkins suck, or they don't have napkins, or it's not clean because they don't have the cleaning supplies that we sell them, that's going to make or break that customer's experience. So Um, if I look at it that way, okay, so I'm taking the toilet paper and the cleaning supplies I sell and saying this is going to make your customer either love or hate. And by the way, your employee love or hate your place of business. That's kind of cool. Like, why would you skimp on that? I
0: got a random question for you. So I'm sitting here thinking about some of the themes that I'm seeing kind of come through really consistently with you. And one of them is this, I think, the sense from the fraternity dorm room days, you know, of kind of like going out and wanting to connect with people and to today, you know, still feeling very connected, I think, to caring and, and having an extremely high level of empathy. But if you felt back over the last 20 you know, something odd years you've been doing this, what part of your kind of business self or leader self, like what part did you need to change? Like what has evolved for you today? Because there's clearly some bits that are just so core to who you are, like what I think I just mentioned. I hope that's not being presumptuous to say that, but just the feeling I get. But some part of you must have evolved too. And I'd love to hear about that part.
1: I think as leaders, we get you know, I'm part of YPO, which is 38,000 presidents around the world. And you always hear, and I was in EO for 10 years, which is an amazing organization, entrepreneur's organization. And so 20 of my years of the 23 being here, running a business, I've been part of this and been surrounded by people that are all struggling in some way. I think the common theme is it gets lonely at the top is you hear that all the time, but I think we get so busy and overwhelmed that we forget about the smallest things in the world. So a thank you card, right? It's the simplest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. Now I'm old school, right? Like I got a whiteboard, I got thank you cards.
0: I mean, hell, you got a payphone on the wall back there. Don't think we're not gonna ask about that at some point, but we're gonna go back to that. You keep going.
1: (laughs) We forget to do the smallest things and I forgot. And so when we did reviews 15, 18 years ago, people were not, kind in their review to me. We also did the 180 review. They review me, I review them. And some of that feedback was hard to hear. I got to hear it over the years. My business partner got to hear it over the years. And it's not easy, but you have to listen to that feedback, whether it's coming from an employee or a customer or whoever it is. If you take that feedback and listen, you often will do very well. And I think the feedback I got was you forget that we're out here helping you. And so I'm not perfect today, but I make an effort to always try to say, hello, how are you? Thank people. I just did this for our entire sales org. I said, you need to be thanking people more often because if you don't have ops or account managers or all the people behind Mm -hmm. the scenes, you're done. Okay, you yourself can't do this. It's impossible. We as leaders of a business cannot do what we do without our team. So if you're not constantly remembering that these people are committing 30, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, whatever that is to your business and not thinking and being kind to them or doing your best to go and thank them. okay, I'll give you a small example. Every morning, my team preps me with all the birthdays and the anniversaries for the company. And cool. they have volunteered to send those emails on my behalf. In fact, they could log into my email and they could send it on behalf of Brett that nobody would ever know. Now they might know because I just said it. But <laughs> my happiness is in the morning when I get to write a happy birthday or happy anniversary to employees that have been here 17 years, 15 years, 10 years, first year, birthday. And I don't run the company anymore. It's not my company. Yeah. I am doing it, not because I'm bored, okay? I got three kids. I have yeah. a full-time It's <laughs> a little bit
0: on your plate, yeah. I
1: got a lot going on. I could make every excuse in the book of why I don't need or shouldn't do this, yeah. but it's the reality. I used to do Thanksgiving cards, thank you cards to our employees on Thanksgiving. And my wife remembers, I would sit at the kitchen table and for years I did it and it, it got too much. It got too much yeah. and it was sad I had to let it go. So instead yeah. I moved to birthdays and anniversaries, which yeah. some days I wake up and there's 50 plus emails that need oh to get sent. Yeah. And by the way, this is not a click copy. This yeah, is, I, I even got a response the other day. <laughs> this was embarrassing. I screwed up an email. I sent a, a note to the wrong person. So instead of sending it to Sally, I sent it to Betty, whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. And. They wrote back, I can't believe you don't copy and paste because it was a different email. Yeah. And they said, I know this is an accident and I see this, but the fact that you actually take the time to customize these emails is mind
0: blowing. <laughs> that's awesome, and,
1: man. I'll bet people think that my team does these and that's yeah. okay. I, I'm not gonna tell them I do, I don't, I do, I write yeah. them. But I will say that is some of the biggest and the hardest feedback over the years was you're not kind. You're not nice. And 15 years ago, I was like, I'm trying to run a business. I don't care yeah. if I'm kind. Yeah, yeah. And today I am.
0: Well, it sounds like you took that feedback to heart. I can definitely feel it. So I want to jump subjects again. As you know, uh, OSHIP wouldn't be OSHIP if I didn't ask, you know, for kind of an OSHIP question. So for those of you who have not logged in to OSHIP before, whether you're watching the video or you're listening via the podcast, I love getting this opportunity to talk to entrepreneurs and business leaders and just inspiring people like Brett and ask them about a moment in their career where maybe things went a little haywire, things where you thought you were going well and things went completely off track and sometimes it may have even caused a great failure. But I like to know how people handle these adversity. And sometimes that may be something that went wrong, that they managed to get back on track and saved a business or saved a client relationship or had a profound impact on the business. Sometimes it didn't get saved at all, but it's about how they dealt with the aftermath. Sometimes those stories are really inspiring. Sometimes those stories are just really funny. Maybe not funny at the time, but funny 10 minutes later or 10 years later, I should say. And you know, I'd love to hear anything you're willing to share, Brett my favorite segment of the airship show.
1: There's too many. We would have to (laughs) spend hours and hours. And remember, we have a business that's global. So we have offices in China and India and Brazil and Vietnam. And you have to remember, we're two guys from LA that like, I wouldn't say we're the most savvy when it comes to understanding cultures and all things there. So there's countless stories about missing Chinese New Year and not giving red envelopes with money and not knowing that that was something and we offended the entire staff where they nearly left the entire company. Like there are so many things that we had to learn around Holy Day and things in India that we were like, why are people throwing paint all over themselves? What is happening? Is this graffiti? Like, are they destroying our office? So there are plenty of those. I think two stand out and I'll give you one short one that was just not funny. Our CFO at the time, who is no longer with a business, ended up calling my business partner and saying, we are, I think he said it was one or $2 million short, and we're going to need a, a couple million dollars immediately. And we're like, who's giving us a couple million dollars? How are we short? How'd this happen? Well, yeah, we're not going to make payroll. not going to make payroll. Like what, how'd this happen? Like, what are you talking about?
0: So, I love it sound like he was kind of nonchalant. You're like,
1: and I was like, well, so, you know, again, I'm hearing this from my business partner. He's like, yeah, we got a big problem and we're going to have to raise a couple million dollars this weekend because this was on a Friday. And I'm like, I don't know anyone that has a couple million dollars. <laughs> I'm like, living at home. Like, what are you even talking about? I don't know what's going on. And so we literally hit the phones. And started calling all our friends and family, cousins, relatives, anyone and everyone and said, we will pay you, I think it was 12 or 13% interest to loan us money. We will not give you any equity, but we will, in theory, personal guarantee it. But we have no assets to, we don't have houses, we don't have anything like I have a a 1999 Grand Prix, I'll put that up. Like I don't know what I got, but I got not much. I have some Pogs back in the days. Good good smile though, good smile. So we did it like we made it happen and and, and those people stuck with us and kept money in till the sale. In 2016, the parent companies looked at us, you got a lot of money because we then kept doing it because banks wouldn't loan us money because we had so many receivables coming from Brazil and other countries. And they're like, we're not going to touch that. And by the way, when you work with like an Anheuser-Busch and they're like, yeah, our terms are net 140. Yeah, By the way, it crazy. takes us hundred plus days to produce a product. So we go produce a product. It takes us a hundred days. Our money's gone, maybe more. Then we don't get paid for 140. Think about how long you need capital. And those That's aren't nice small time. orders. Right. So that was one. The other one, I'll say, we had an opportunity with a massive brand in the coffee space. I'll leave it at that. And we had our biggest order and it was ceramic mugs and This was a major product for them. It was for holiday, which is the biggest time of year to sell product like that. And we get a call from our team saying, we can't ship the product. There's multiple reasons, but we have found issues with the factory. And there's issues with the compliance of the product, the integrity of the product, how it was made, all of these things. And our big thing always has been We make safe and ethical products and our team is on site to inspect those. The problem is that if a factory subs out product, which is very common and you don't check that factory or they don't tell you they're going to sub out the factory to another factory, you won't know. You wouldn't until you've been burned and then you know, because you weigh the product, you have a lot of practices in place to make sure that that never happens again. Meanwhile, I had to go to the client on our biggest order and our first big order. They tested us with a small order and I had to say, we're not going to be able to deliver your holiday product. And that just didn't go well. I mean, it did not go well. It was not a happy conversation. And I actually couldn't get into all of the reasons, but imagine if there's an ethical violation or a safety violation or anything going on, we won't ship the product. We will not ship the product. We will eat it. And that will cost us a lot of money. And it did. That client is one of our biggest clients today. I will say it was a brutal experience. We did what was right. I think most people would have been like, ship the product and let it go. Like no one's ever going to find out and no one will ever know and it'll be fine.
0: And it's funny until you told the first story, it's easy to forget how capital intense your business can be in terms of you know how long you've got to sustain some of these things. i think when these kind of curveballs hit you and got to hurt, to put it nicely.
1: <laughs> and it, it could have worked the opposite. It could have been yeah. like, we're done with you, we'll never work with you again. And yeah. But we would have had to do that. Like for us, the ethical side of who we are. And look, I will say this is an industry where some of the stuff I see going on is shocking. I'll never forget 2004, whatever it was, we were in a factory in China and we saw child labor. And like Phil and I looked at each other, we're like, Oh my God. Like you read stories about this, but we didn't think it was real. Yeah. And from that day on, we said we will never allow this to happen. We are going to hire an entire team and then a team that the team doesn't know is a team, like secret agents, to ensure that there is never a situation where we get caught finding out that our product is made in a factory that is not doing what is ethical
0: as well i feel like i just got a bonus triple o ship story tucked on the end there so i will i will take it you weren't getting when you said you had a few of these tucked away but brett i gotta tell you sometimes i talk to entrepreneurs that and business leaders that have been through their fair share of adversity and it maybe it made them harder or more calculated or whatever it sounds like during all these steps you Really been great about taking feedback from people, and you've used that to kind of make yourself a happier person through all of that and a more positive person, which I think was great. I do have to ask. I've been eyeballing it this entire episode. You said you're an old school guy. You start talking about pens and papers. For those of you who are not watching on the video stream and listening, there is a old school telephone. It's not really a booth, but I guess like an old school, like a wall unit you'd see put the coins in, hanging on the back wall of his office. So. I got to ask, Brett, what's the story on the telephone booth?
1: (laughs) If I move over, you'll see how they used to answer phones back in the days. You'll see Alexander Bell, who invented the telephone. You'll see an old school television. What you won't see is throughout my entire office. I have pictures of horse and buggies, what LA used to look like. Ah, Um, so you got
0: a whole theme going.
1: I have a theme going. Recently, probably a year and a half ago, my son, we were playing our wedding video for our kids. And I pulled out the DVD. And he said, Oh, is that a Frisbee? And I was like, (laughs) no, it's not a Frisbee. It's a a DVD. What is that? And, you know, for me, I think there, you know, I have jukeboxes and old CD players and typewriters, and we're actually making a Lego typewriter right now, which is awesome. awesome. I have to remember what we had and where we came from. And I think that I want my kids to be reminded of that. It's a theme in my life. I came from a childhood where I was beyond spoiled to death until my dad lost his business. And the sheriff came and asked us nicely to leave multiple times. And eventually we were kicked out of our house. And I go back to like, for me, remembering all of these things, what our ancestors went through, what our grandparents went through, what our parents went through. And, and I think that's kind of a reminder for me of... Where I've come from, kind of full circle, my son, for the last nine years, I've been part of a a camp for homeless kids for about 20 years, and we bring kids in to experience what camp is like. And I never had that experience because we didn't have the money to do it. And my son just got to go to sleepaway camp for the first time. And I wanted him to understand how fortunate and lucky he is because he volunteers with me for the last nine years. Most of those years sitting next to me in the little golf cart delivering stuffed animals and pillows and toothbrushes to the cabins. It's a reminder for me, but it's also, I want them to constantly be reminded of life wasn't always what it is today with technology and you had to go to a payphone and put a quarter in and FaceTime and Zoom and things that we see today. So I like them to see this stuff. My two-year-old. Who's gonna be three was looking at the jukebox and music was coming from it. And he's like, Where's the music coming from? Where's the it couldn't stop asking? <laughs> couldn't wrap it head around it. Pure, it was like pure comedy. My mm-hmm. son the other day tried to plug in the TV, and he's like, There's an antenna. Like, how's this whole thing <laughs> oh, this
0: <laughs> is. This house- Well, I got one for you. The DVD inspired me while you're in the spirit of screwing with your kids. You should definitely see if you can find a photo of some of the older computers and brag about how the computers used to have a cup holder in it. that You could press a button and a cup holder would slide out and see if they fall for it. (laughs) For any of you out there who hopefully are old enough to remember when we had DVD and CD-ROMs, CD drives in, in the computers, you'll know what I'm talking about.
1: I still read a newspaper. My grandma, who is, she passed at 99, so she lived an amazing life. But she helped our family in a lot of ways. She helped buy me the 99 Grand Prix. She helped me with college and helped my family out in a lot of ways. And I'll never forget, she used to read the Wall Street Journal every day and I would call her every day and she'd tell me what's going on in the world and what stocks to invest in. I kid you not. Like, she's like, invest in CBS, And we did. And I was like, oh my God. It like you know, like she, she wasn't the grandma that gave gifts. She gave stocks. Yeah, yeah, stock yeah. Stocks she was stock advice. Disney and McDonald's. And I, every year I'd like, oh, I got a piece of paper. And like, I look back and I'm like, Oh my God. Like I don't look back at the toys I don't have. I look back at the money I have from the stocks that she bought yeah. me. And she's like, I got you a gift. It's Disney. You're like, you're taking me to Disney. You're like, no, I'm telling you to buy their stock this week. <laughs> it's amazing. So I still read a physical newspaper and I was on a plane the other day and someone's like, you know, they have a digital form of that now. And I was like, you gotta be kidding. Like, what do you mean? Like how? He's like, like you read it in an app or an iPad. I was like, Stop it. I can get this whole thing in an <laughs> I, I was having a blast, and I think he was just like, This poor guy, like he must be he, must be, <laughs> Is he gonna dude, survive? <laughs> this guy's in this trouble. Um, oh my god. Anyway, my, my son was reading the newspaper with me the other day. Now he gets a mini a version of his, and I but like that. I think there's so many things that we can teach our kids, our families, our friends. So I'm always about like, you know, how do we give back and how do we teach and how do we educate? Because look, we've all been through a lot. Like you know, yeah. COVID was insane. And by the way, speaking of boring products, we were selling masks, hand sanitizer and gloves during COVID, right? Like, cause no one was buying merch. Oh, those right? are my
0: wife's three favorite gifts for about two years. So <laughs> yeah.
1: So you talk about like how to create fun out of that category when it was not
0: Brett, you were a really inspiring guest today, and I can't thank you enough for being on. I also want to thank all the people that are listening and watching our ship right now. Whether you're tuning in via any of our video channels like YouTube or Facebook or LinkedIn, or you're listening on any of the podcasts, different services we're on now, I really want to thank you for tuning in. The best thing you can do to support the show is tell a friend, give us a rating on the podcast service, like an episode leave a comment, even all of those things, I mean a lot to us and, you know, we just appreciate you coming along for the ride with us and helping us to bring a great guest like Brett every week. Brett, if people want to get it connected to you, I assume they can find you on LinkedIn. What's the other best way for folks to find you?
1: Yeah, they can LinkedIn, Brett at bamco.net, B-R-E-T-T at B-A-M-K-O.net. Happy to help if I can, if anyone needs anything or wants to chat about retention and fun topics that, well, I think they're fun. Revenue generation. <laughs> I'm all ears and willing to help. And thank you, Freddie. I mean, to me, I think the opportunity to be able to tell the story and help folks and, and know that being an entrepreneur is not all smooth sailing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is something really. Thank um,
0: you for getting at least okay. one nautical pun in. I appreciate it, Brett. <laughs> it was an honor. You were a real pleasure. And everyone out there, thank you so much for tuning in. Brett, thank you again. We'll see you guys next week on OSHIV. Thank you. Oh, shoot.